We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Before we begin the show, I want to tell you guys about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast right here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited. So get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more. That's bwhustle.com slash join. Listen up. All you ever ask for is an opportunity. You got it today. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want to... Some of the teams you mentioned were in fact interested. The Browns, the Titans, the Bills... Uh, the Colts, I don't believe in the end, the Colts made an actual official offer. It sounded like the Arizona Cardinals did have the highest offer, which would, of course, make sense. That's generally what almost any free agent wants to do, especially if there is, as Trotter mentioned, a really good fit here. Go to the highest bidder, to a place that's going to use you well, to a defense you know, to a team that is on the rise. This all makes sense. I, I was... The money, I would say, is a little more than I anticipated and probably a little more than all those teams that were actually involved anticipated. It felt like most people saw J.J. Watt in kind of the 11, maybe to 12 range or thinking it could possibly get up to 13. The Cardinals made a very, very strong move. 
Uh, they paid for it, and they got J.J. Watt in the end, which is exactly what they were hoping to do. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pal Report Podcast. I'm your host, Bill, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was NFL Network's Ian Rappaport on the J.J. Watt signing that broke yesterday afternoon. It's funny. We had a show already set up. We had our week set up. I mean, Chris, it's free agency week. You know, yeah, this was the week we were going to start talking about the, the def- specifically the defensive side of the football. We've got Ryan Talbot from New York Upstate all lined up to be our guest, and then you know last week when we were talking to Bruce Nolan about pre uh, pre free agency dominoes that would need to resolve themselves before the Bills could really set themselves up. Yes, well, maybe one of the biggest ones for Buffalo fell in really I want to say anticlimactic fashion. And then we started talking about, well, we have to address it, right, Chris? Yeah. But I'm not going to try to shoehorn it into 10 minutes in the front of another podcast, because for me, there's just too much to unpack here. Yeah, we need somebody that has a similar personality to you. <laughs> An asshole, but in a different way. So instead, what we've done is we've decided to take you on a short trip tonight. Don't worry, our free agency talk is still going to happen. In fact, if you're listening to this on Wednesday morning, Wednesday afternoon, it's going to release... Tonight, tonight, you can go check out our pre-free agency podcast. But tonight, we got to talk a little J.J. Watt. I mean, it's an odd saga. Rampant speculation, social media overreactions, and ultimately one of the strangest endings to a free agent spree. And here to talk with us about it tonight is Ryan Lasel from Rock Sports Network. How are you, sir? Doing great, guys. Always a pleasure to join you. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Mr. Ryan Lasel, host of the Huddle TV over at Rock Sports Network. He and Gary over there put on some fantastic content. They, they, their mainstay is a training camp. Uh, they're back when we could go to casinos. Our annual draft shows and TV shows being shot from the casino were probably some of the highlights of my year. Um, I mean, hopefully you'll be the host of this year's Rock Sports Draft Show again if the casino still isn't open. Any word on that? I, I think it's more hopefully we'll be able to do it in person again instead of doing a virtual event like we did last year. So um, I know the, the casino's open, so they are doing business over at Batavia Downs. It's just a matter of whether or not you know we're going to be able to be on site for the actual draft. So just glad that things are starting to get back to some semblance of normalcy. Absolutely. And Ryan here, I mean, I want to get to all the J.J. Watt talk, but I can't let this slide, Ryan. I'm a, I'm a petty, petty man. Your hot take on Twitter last night of, I can't name it. Oh, man. Someone tweeted out, can you name a Sylvester Stallone movie you like that's not Rocky or Rambo? I saw it from Greg Thompson and immediately started talking about uh, Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. (laughs) Of course you did, because that's the only movie you've probably seen of his, right? No, I've seen Rocky IV, and I think that's about it. See? And And, that... Well, and all of the times that Norm MacDonald would make fun of Frank Stallone on SNL. I've seen those. (laughs) So... Chris, the guy who hasn't ever seen a damn thing, he has seen Rocky IV. That should underscore what a what an iconic piece of American cinema that is. But here comes Ryan Lasel to say, hot take, I can't name a Sylvester Stallone movie I like, even including Rocky and Rambo. First of all, how dare you? How dare you? Defend yourself, sir. I just, I don't think it's a good movie. I don't think either one are a good movie. I mean, you know, if we're talking about iconic films, yeah, sure. I mean, you know, there's a lot. Citizen Kane's an iconic movie. It doesn't mean I enjoy sitting down and watching it. Um, Rocky's just, it's just a movie that I, 
you know, I, I think it's uh, it doesn't really know what it wants to be. Is it an underdog story? Is it some type of a gritty, you know, uh, rags to riches story? Um, I mean, the, what happened with Adrian's glasses? Like she kisses Rocky and all of a sudden she doesn't need glasses anymore because she never wears them again in the movie. Um, you know, and, and the fact that Rocky wins the fight, it's not not because he's a better boxer than Apollo Creed. It's just Apollo Creed spends the entire movie like screwing off in the office and sitting down. And he's not training. So he runs out of gas at the end. I mean, it's not a, you know, it's not a, a, a will overcome skill type of moment. It's just Apollo Creed gets tired and gets caught by a, and what happened with Mickey? Like why all of a sudden was, did Rocky forgive Mickey and let, let him join his corner? I mean, Mickey goes from begging Rocky. I would need to be a part of this. I you know, let me be a part of your corner. And the, you know, that, that speech that he gives and Rocky's like, nah, I'm good. And two minutes later, it's, okay, come be my trainer and be in my corner. Like, what happened? There's no background there. How did they make up? There's just so many holes. I'm, I'm pretty sure. So, I'm pretty sure if we were to get down to brass tacks, like if, if Rocky three had happened today, there would have been a lawsuit filed on Mickey's behalf. Like if this wasn't the 80s, someone would have sued. I'd, stop. You, you're, what you're doing right now is you're giving some of my favorite films, the what I like to call the uh, uh, the Jim Norton treatment. He did it to the movie Face Off, a movie that I thought was pretty good until Jim Norton eviscerated it. And now I can't watch it. It's unwatchable to me. Uh, yeah, I don't want to take Rocky away from anyone. And I think some of it has to do with I didn't see Rocky until I was like maybe a junior in high school. So I think oh, that takes away some of the, the suspension of, of the, disbelief the, the shine to it a little bit. I mean, it was the same thing with Rambo. Well, I, did, I, you know, listen, I, here's... I grew up on a farm and I had stuff to do that didn't involve watching movies all the time. So I didn't watch it until I was a little bit older. And that's kind of when I was like, I don't really get this movie. For as much as I want to agree with you, Sylvester Stallone is a he's a mush mouth hack of an actor, but his movies are iconic. OK, Rambo, the franchise still holds up as long as you're not trying to overthink it. And the most recent iterations were violent to a degree that could cover up any plot holes that existed. <laughs> the the Demo, Demolition Man, he and Wesley Snipes are perfect together in that one. And again, suspension of disbelief might be required, but it's still entertaining. And I still to this day don't know what the three shells were for. And then Rocky IV, a masterpiece of American cinema, maybe one of the finest works ever put to film. And I'll put on a star-spangled speedo and a top hat and box the shit out of anybody who doesn't agree with me. Okay? There's something purely American about that movie. <laughs> They're just... Yeah, and someone, you know, I mean, people jumped in my mentions, and before people do that again on Twitter, like, you don't have to throw Stallone movies at me, like Tango and Cash and, you know, like all those movies, I've seen them, I just don't like them. I think there's two distinct differences, and people are like, well, oh, watch Tango and Cash, it'll change your mind. Seen it doesn't change my mind. I'd rather go watch, you know, if I'm going to watch a movie that I need to suspend disbelief and have a semblance of uh, guilty pleasure, I guess, I, I'll, I'll throw in a Will, Will Ferrell movie or an Adam Sandler movie and laugh. I don't need to, you know, try to force myself to cry because Mushmouth Rocky is delivering some speech that doesn't really make sense in the end. <laughs> well, maybe you should try Rhinestone. <laughs> You know, I, I, that's one I haven't seen, but I know it's Drew's favorite, so I quickly moved it to the top of my list. It is not my favorite. It's it, Oh, see, Chris, this is this is why I love and also hate sharing a Twitter account with Chris. I thought it was either that or what, Spy Kids 3D Game Over. I mean, that'll be Jack's favorite movie. All right, maybe Sylvester Stallone has done some real dogs. All right, I, I'm willing to hear some of this. Either way, we're going to have to... 
I think you're wrong. Sylvester Stallone films are they're watchable. But you know, speaking of mushmouth hacks, we got to talk about JJ Watt here. <laughs> I don't want to start this throwing. I don't want to start throwing barbs at the guy. We'll get to that in a second. Because again, Chris, this could have been a, a news drop just at the top of one of our shows, and I was content to let it be that. And then as more and more come out about this and he starts talking to the media and I start to feel a certain type of way about it, I feel like we have to dig into it. Now, I was sitting in my office when the news broke that J.J. Watt had finally made up his mind. I can't lie. I thought someone had died the way my phone just lit up. Phone calls, texts, DMs, emails. Chris, hilariously, didn't even know about it until I told him at about 3 p.m., yeah, I'm on. I'm have a new job, so probationary period. I am not on my given break. So my last break at one o'clock, and when I left work at three o'clock, I had no idea that JJ Watt had signed with the uh, Arizona Cardinals. So I sent him. So, so I texted him about it. He goes, and he responds at three fifteen, and goes, "I texted him about the show tonight." And he goes, "I think it, this, I'm reading his text now. I think it depends if Watt signs tomorrow. He can sign before free agency, right?" And I said. He already announced the Cardinals. First, he says, weird choice. And then comes back. He got 16 million. Fuck that noise. I thought he wanted to play for a contender. That was everyone's knee jerk reaction, I think. Right, Ryan? <laughs> yeah, that was my knee jerk reaction is you talk about, uh, you know, I want to go play for a contender and you wind up on an eight and eight team that missed the playoffs and is arguably the fourth best team in their division now that the Rams have an actual quarterback. So <laughs> it's, you know, and, and for his press conference today, I mean, give me a break with this guy, oh, right? Like, I believe in Kyler Murray. Based on what? Oh, like, based on what do you believe in Kyler Murray? Well, we're going to get into all of it. I snort laughed. I snort laughed when I saw it. The Arizona frigging Cardinals signed J.J. Watt. I mean, Let's unpack this and get into it in a little more detail. Now, for those of you out there in Bill's Mafia, everybody who took to Twitter to get in his mentions, tweet angry things at the Cardinals, to say all kinds of defamatory things about the guy. Chris, say it with me here. Grab your drink. First of all, Goose Fraba. Now open a beverage. I want you to take a sip. And I want you to reflect on this. Doesn't it feel kind of good to know that we were in the race till the bitter end for one of the NFL's premier defensive linemen at the end of his career as a quote-unquote contender? I mean, the, when, when you look at the deal on its face, amount of the deal and the team he picks with, am I wrong in saying, Ryan, that it probably means the market wasn't as robust for his services as he and his agent probably thought it was going to be? Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Um, I think it sounds like some teams didn't get involved just because of what they thought the price tag was going to be for him. Um, it sounds like it was maybe six or seven teams, and I think maybe he thought that half the league was going to be beating down his door trying to get his services. Um, and it sounds like of those six or seven teams, a couple of them maybe even didn't make an offer. Like now there's news coming out that Indy might not even put a, an official offer on the table. So at the end of the day, you know, more and more that comes out, it sounds like Arizona may have actually been bidding against itself in this situation. Well, um, I'm not just never a good situation to be in. I'm not shocked to hear that. I mean, when you look at the landscape, there's a glut of talent available at the, on the free agent defensive end market, something we're going to talk about in detail with uh, Ryan Talbot in our next show. 
His only big money offer came from a desperate team. And if a contender had offered something comparable to that, I'm positive he a team with a better record, with a, a more proven track record, both between the current roster, between the success by, from their GM, their head coach, I'm certain he would be playing there instead. I mean, the reality, when you looked around the teams most commonly tied to him by the media, Cleveland, Buffalo, and Green Bay, First of all, in terms of cap space, none of them were really fits for the contract that he landed eventually. Green Bay already has $37.5 million wrapped up in Zedarius and Preston Smith, and they're currently negative cap space. So if someone was, if, if that was the type of money he was looking for, he was never going to get it from them. Cleveland is losing bodies on both sides of the ball, on offense and defense, that they're going to need to backfill. And they're not just one pass rusher away from being more highly competitive than they were last year. And Buffalo's kind of in a similar boat, albeit with less potential for turnover, and but a little less money to play with. I mean, that all checks out. Yeah, I think that I, I think the cap situation this year really kind of hurt, you know, the ability for teams to go after Watt because you know if you're talking about a 180 million dollar cap. You know, there's teams that are that they knew they were going to be up against it coming in, and now the cap going down. You know that puts a lot of teams in really a rough a rough position. And I think Buffalo probably came into this race with, you know, comfortable probably you know ten and a half, eleven million a year, which I think is where I thought he would wind up, and I thought a lot of people thought that that's kind of where he would wind up with his contract. Maybe twelve million a year might be kind of the cap for him, but you know when you look at what else the bills have to do and what else these other teams have to do, and frankly, what else the Cardinals have to do 13 and a half million dollars or 15 and a half million dollars with JJ Watt is just, I mean, he's not worth that. Well, and I mean, he, he was worth it two years ago, but he's not worth it now. And that's why this is so crazy. I mean, if I was a gambling man, which I I've talked ad nauseum about how I strive not to be, I'd roll a whole paycheck on the fact that when all of the final offers came in, None of the contending teams that he was linked to were willing to shell out that kind of cash. So when Arizona came out of left field with this desperation offer, and yes, it is a desperation move, which I'm going to discuss in detail, they had to, he had to take the opportunity. I mean, he, he, he clearly values himself to a certain degree. Otherwise, he'd be doing this for free, right? He would take the Tom Brady approach and say, I'll take less than market rate for my services because I genuinely want to be a part of a winning franchise. At the end of the day, the player does have to make a decision. You're talking about a guy who's used to being paid way more than that. He's being used to pay being being paid. I mean, I think last year he made. I think I have it here. His uh, salary last season, average sixteen point six million, was what his salary was last year with the Texans. He's become accustomed to making that. So while I think he was willing to maybe take a little less, he probably wasn't to take a lot less, which is likely, based on the situations I just laid out, where all the contenders he would have gone and played for came in at. Now, last week, Bruce and I talked about the opportunity cost of signing J.J. Watt over going up to market in pursuit of a younger, equally talented pass rushing talent. Part of my hesitation stems from just concerns, which are overblown by some, both statistical and injury-wise, of signing a player like J.J. Watt. I mean, that my, my reservations haven't changed, and there's a part of me that's kind of relieved. Chris knows I love to make charts, and I actually have one for our next show, but I'm going to talk about it now. It's a monster. It essentially breaks down the top 20 defensive ends on the market, 
in categories of games played, snap count, snap percentage, all of their statistical metrics, sacks, pressures, tackles for loss, and then converts those on a per pressure to sack basis and a snap to disruptive play basis because I have a sickness and that's how I, this is how my brain works. I have to put everything on paper. What I like about it is that there's 16 players listed and if I do my math correctly, 13 are under the age of 30. Yeah. Look, young crop. J.J. Watt's snap count last year, he played 91% of Houston's defensive snaps, 1,013. That's a 32-year-old defensive end who just played 1,000 snaps of football. A guy who's already injured. <laughs> like, how, how, how much does that little bit tidbit of information just make you feel better about this, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, the mileage that Watts got and the injury history that he has, I mean, you know, you look at some of these defensive ends that are aging really well, you know, like Jason Pierre-Paul type of guy who, who ate, are aging really well. I don't see Watt aging like that because of how often he moves around on the line, how many snaps he takes, his injury history. Um, and the fact that, I mean, production-wise, I mean, let's be honest, he hasn't been productive since 2018. He had 16 sacks in 2018. But if you go back the last five seasons, he's got 26 and a half sacks. So take out 2018 and he's got, you know, 10 and a half sacks over the other four years. And that's the problem. And it's just... He's just not that guy anymore. No, and that's the problem with what happens when you get older and you take these contracts is that eventually you reach a point where your value starts – your value on the field starts to be impacted by what you cost the team, that opportunity cost we're talking about. J.J. Watt at $10 million, even with his injury history, is a lot more palatable than J.J. Watt at fifteen and a half. Yeah. I mean, that $5 million is yeah, another I mean, productive five, five and a half million dollars extra a year. I mean, that's that's a slot corner. That's my right? point. I mean, that's, that's a starting a, slot corner. That's a productive player for your team. And there's a lot of people yeah. listening to this who are going to go, oh, that's sour grapes. Bah, 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 you're just unhappy. How about this? How many times over the last 20 years did we all as Bills fans facepalm watching this franchise try to mollify us as a fan base with the signing of a veteran player that on its face seemed to be the answer for our problems? Only to, not, not even to have it in poorly, like Quentin Jefferson or Vernon Butler signing last year, but an absolute disaster. Okay? Uh, Charles Clay. Do, do you remember, Chris, the days when we used to trash that steaming pile of contractual garbage? Yeah. I was, well, I was going to. I don't have the player's name on top of my head. Lace will chime in if you know it. Uh, the guy that we got from the Patriots. Defensive end. Mark Anderson. Yes. That Mark guy. Anderson yeah. came off a 10 sack season and came to Buffalo and was cut, I think, after 18 games. Yeah, I don't think he made we it. We signed him to a 10 one million, season. I think we I think we were paying him eight or nine million dollars a year as a defensive end, and he played like 18 games. It was one of the most embarrassing evaporations of talent I've ever seen in my entire life. Charles Clay is kind of up there. And there again, you want to talk about what happens when your pay increases. When Charles Clay was making nobody kind of money, you know, when he was making draft pick money, he was a reliable safety valve for our young and experienced quarterbacks. The second you started paying him top tight end money, his last season, he literally made $1 million for every first down pass he caught. He only had 11, and he put up a goose egg in the touchdown column. That's... (laughs) 
It's it's horrifying. Derek Dockery and Langston Walker. I try not to even invoke those names on this podcast. Marv Levy is going to go down. I mean, he's in the history as a revered member of this team's lore and a fixture in Buffalo Bills history. But those two signings made when he was acting GM and kind of teetering on the edge of his football acumen, that's the type of bullshit that's taken years off the function of my liver. Okay? (laughs) Dockery, never a pro bowler, was this big, slow, kind of unathletic, just hulk of a lineman. I mean, looking back, you can find articles that were written about all the flags surrounding him. And Langston Walker, a massive mountain of a man at right tackle, but equally unathletic. The team goes out and hands them seven and five-year deals, respectively, and then decides to run an up-tempo offense. Hey, guys, we got these two giant, fat, out-of-shape offensive linemen. We're going to go no harm. We're doing it. We're doing it live. We're going to come at the line. Bring back the K-gun. It was ridiculous, and both of them flamed out after just 32 games. That's the type of stuff you see from the Mets. Okay, those are the types of seven-year deal. A seven-year deal for that guy. Yeah. Percy Harvin. I'll give you one last name. Percy Harvin. Rex Ryan thought that this was the crown jewel, the one that was going to put our skill position over the top. He crowed about it because he thought that bringing in this guy who's a speed threat as his wide receiver three was going to be the move that put us over the top. And Tyrod Taylor, we've got Sammy Watkins, we've got Robert Woods. We're going to bring in Harvin and he's going to take the lid off this thing and it's going to be great. Instead, he did the thing that he's been doing for years, which is missing games due to injury. What, five games, 19 passes, and a single touchdown, and that was it. That's it. That's all he ever did in the Bills uniform. And those teams, were, I mean, Sammy still got 1,000 yards that year, but most of our offense had to run through our running backs because we had nothing, and teams could very easily take away Sammy Watkins. <laughs> what about uh, Mario? Yeah, I feel like Harvin, I mean, he always had those migraine issues and stuff too, and it's like just they just overlooked that. Migraine like, issues are, oh, oh, I thought you were talking about Sammy Watkins. I was going to say migraine issues or hangovers. What, 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 what were Sammy Watkins? Uh, it's six and one. <laughs> what about uh, Mario Williams? You know, like he didn't really have a production drop off, but – he didn't change anything for us the year before we signed him. So, we were so the Mario Williams, sick. I think Mario we were, Williams is probably the best example. And Chris, you know, to bring that up, I mean, Mario Williams is the best example of this because Mario Williams did what he was supposed to do when he came to Buffalo. He made that defensive line better right out of the gate. The problem was that the contract they gave him, he was never going to live up to that money. Just as a defensive end, a pass rushing defensive end, he was never going to live up to that contract unless he went out and got 20 sacks in a season. And that just didn't happen. And that's how I view JJ Watt. And that's, you know, on Twitter, when it was announced that Watt was released or that they were going to part ways with him, I, you know, I put that on Twitter and I said, Bill's, Bill's fans need to keep in mind, you know, I went over those stats 26 and a half sacks in five seasons with 16 in 2018. You need to temper your expectations for what this guy's going to bring to the table. And I think. The, the Cardinals were in an interesting situation in that they have a Chandler Jones on the other side who can force defenses to maybe not double-team J.J. Watt every single time. You know, and there was maybe one other team in this sweepstakes that has that kind of guy, and that's Cleveland and Miles Garrett. 
Um, but but you're right, Drew. I mean, J.J. Watt, at the end of the day, and I don't fault anybody for it because if you're going to take your money, take your money. But but if you're going to take your money, say you're taking the money. I mean, don't <laughs> beat your chest about how oh, there's some good things happening in Arizona and this defense is set up because we've got Chandler Jones and Buda Baker, and then I blank on the rest of the defense. So I just say, and a bunch of other young guys that are hungry to get at it. You know, and then I, you know, I believe in the quarterback based on, you know, he's year two going to year. I mean, give me a break with this guy. Like JJ Watt is the biggest JJ Watt fan that you will ever meet. He <laughs> felt he was worth more money. So he went to where there's more money and now he's going to play in Arizona for two years and they're not going to win anything. And he's going to hit the open market as a 34 year old and go, okay, now who wants me? And you know, he's going to have to take another deal that doesn't win him any rings because that's, this is who he is now. And, you know, if you want to talk about sour grapes, fine. I, I'm so tired of J.J. Watt that I could throw up, and I'm just glad that he finally signed with somebody so everybody can shut up about it. <laughs> well, I saw a lot of people making the uh, Vance Joseph is in Arizona, and he had J.J. Watt in Houston. But Vance Joseph was the D-backs coach in Houston. Yeah. Like that, that makes people, no sense. People will draw corollaries wherever they can. I mean, I laughed when I heard J.J. Watt. And I mean, let, let's pivot to that a little bit. Let's talk about J.J. Watt and let's talk about the situation that he just bought into because he's saying all these things about, oh, I believe in this quarterback. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Back. Okay, you believe in Kyler Murray um, because of what? I mean, that, that would be my first question. Yeah. What is it that you believe in Kyler Murray for? Because I'll tell you, I mean, not for nothing, but he's not exactly a, uh, what was it, 5-10 and 10 as a starter last year. I know, I know, wins aren't a quarterback stat. I, I can already hear people yelling in their cars. Um well, what about certain plays that kind of make them seem better than they actually are, well, like the Hale Murray? Okay, so you have a play like that, but then what you look at is you say, okay, in yardage, over the last two years, he's finished 15th and 11th. Not, not terrible. He's not at the. He's not. He's not in the NFL basement. But you didn't crack the top 10, except you have a wide receiver. I mean, they went out and got you a wide receiver. That I mean, stupidly from the Houston Texans, I can't believe they gave Hopkins away, but they got you this guy, and you still didn't crack the top ten for passing yards. And they've got—I mean, they—it they, wasn't just Hopkins. I mean, they've got weapons in Arizona. 
you know, they've got Christian Kirksey who can take the top off of defense. And, you know, frankly, it, you know, is, is a solid wide receiver. Larry Fitzgerald, albeit, you know, 37 or eight years old or whatever he is. I mean, he's still a halfway solid player. You know, they, they, they've got two good running backs and, you know, the guy's still not producing. Okay. So, so I'm just going to so, run some rankings. I mean, is JJ Watt going to help? 2020, 2020 is, a, 2020 is a career, a career year for Kyler Murray. He finished 20th in interception percentage. Okay. He finished 19th in touchdown percentage to passes, you know, <laughs> attempts to touchdowns. He finished outside of the top 10 in first down passes. Um, I mean, he had an 80 yard pass completion which I guess is worth something. He finished 18th. Yeah, but it was a catch and run. He, he finished 18th in quarterback rating. <laughs> I mean, if people can say what they want that about that. Yard, wasn't that, a, that was a slant to Kirksey, I think. So really what you're talking about here is a quarterback who even with weapons, even with a fleshed out team in front of him, don't tell me he's the reason that you're there. I mean, is it yeah. the head coach? Is it this genius head coach who is going to make – you just believe so much in the uh, the spacing patterns that he and you know how he sets up his mesh points and all the. No, you don't, JJ Watt. <laughs> what, what is it? Because you liked his fire pit and you thought his Doctor Evil style house was cool. Like, did he, <laughs> you wanted to go sit with him around the fire pit in the yard and sing Kumbaya? I don't know. I don't know what this is. There's not a lot here to believe in. And if he and his agent were really doing their due diligence, they'd look at this team and they'd see a lot of the problems I see. Because when I look at this, I think there's being missed in all this is the desperation of the Arizona Cardinals. So I want you to do this for me, Ryan, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open up this bottle of bourbon. I'm going to pour myself a little bit. And I'm, I want you to allow me to paint a picture for you. Okay, let, let, me, <laughs> let me wrap for a second. Just a few years ago, the Cardinals GM, Steve Kime, he wasn't exactly getting Christmas cards from the Arizona faithful, much less the owners. A couple DUIs and some draft day disasters like Jonathan Cooper, Robert Kimdichi. I mean, whole drafts full of players from 2016, 17, 18. And that head coach that lasted one season. Who didn't even start. All while maintaining a sub-500 record. That would have ruined most GMs. And yet somehow, Kime survived long enough to hire his second head coach since Bruce Aarons, after <laughs> to Chris's point, firing the first one after just a single season, and bringing in the highly touted Cliff Kingsbury. And with him came yet another top 10, this time number one overall quarterback in Kyler Murray. I'm going to read you an excerpt from Rotowire's Patrick Doherty this past July as he was doing his annual GM rankings. Steve Keim, number 23. The easy part, taking Kyler Murray, is over for Steve Keim. What comes next? As it turns out, it was drafting yet another defensive tweener in the first round. There's no reason Isaiah Simmons can't be a star. The same was also true of previous Keim selections, Hassan Reddick, and Dion Buchanan. That is to say nothing of the players who actually had positions, like Josh Rosen, Robert Kimdichie, and Jonathan Cooper. Shaky drafter or not, Kime still managed to win his second consecutive offseason, acquiring DeAndre Hopkins for the price of David Johnson in a second-round pick. He also snagged Kenyon Drake for a bag of footballs last October. Kime was just fine when he had an engaged Bruce Arians to drag him along. 
the core of Cliff Kingsbury, Chandler Jones, Murray, and Hopkins may be ready to do the same thing. It turns out they weren't. <laughs> wow, you suck at this. After a 6-3 and three start, the Cardinals stumbled to an 8-8 eight and eight finish and a fifth consecutive playoffless season. Kingsbury's second after being hired. Ryan, you remember when he was hired? He was going to revolutionize things. Yeah. He was the player. Change, change the league. Young guys. Uh, McVay, because he had a cup of coffee with uh, McVay, he was part of that tidal wave of offensive, offensive gurus being hired around the NFL who their young, brilliant minds and their fancy haircuts and their ability to relate to the younger players. You know, what, what was it? He was dabbing in practice. and did, I mean, I think I saw Roy Williams coach the uh, Carolina Tar Heels. I think he was doing that like three years ago. So you're not being revolutionary by doing that. But I, I digress. Kingsbury was here to be a winner and to show that, hey, we're a forward-thinking franchise. Even though he had a like a .467 winning percentage at the NCAA level, he's failed. He's failed twice now. His teams have collapsed on him, and he showed no ability to right the ship or build any kind of culture there. You throw in some ominous, you take all that failure, you wrap it up, and you throw in some ominous postseason quotes from their owner just a few months ago. He took the local radio being interviewed after the season, just talking about how disappointed he was. The two years in a row now, they haven't really made good on the promise that they've put into this franchise. The quote was, those two, because they asked, are these guys on the hot seat? And his response was, those two know what they have to do this season. I don't think I have to say it out loud. Ryan, that doesn't sound like a... <laughs> have you heard Terry Pagula say anything close to that? Ever? About our guys? No, that that's not a ringing endorsement. That's a... If our bye week's late enough and we're not in the playoff hunt by then, he's going to be gone and during the bye week. And, yeah. I mean, you, you can look at the Watt signing and you can still make the argument that the defense isn't going to get better. I mean, because you're not going to be able to resign Reddick, who had a great season last year, so he's probably gone. You're probably not going to be able to afford Patrick Peterson, so he's gone. So now you're in a, you're in a division with Russell Wilson, Jimmy Garoppolo, and that – offense that they've got, which they, they succeed despite Garoppolo. And now Matt Stafford. And he's got no corners. So, I mean, like, great, you're going to get pressure on the quarterback, but, you know, if you can't do it with four, you're going to have a hard time because, that you know, this division is very good. And, again, I, I will make the argument, even after the Watt signing, as it stands right now, because Seattle hasn't done anything with Wilson – Arizona's the fourth best team in this division right now. Absolutely. I don't see that changing unless they make another big move. Two things. First, in terms of the roster, you hit the nail on the head. The team had $17 million in cap space before this signing. They're going to have to make additional moves to free up the space they need to flesh out the rest of the roster. They have just two cornerbacks with NFL experience on the roster as of today, and one of them hasn't played for the team in two years. Outside of Hopkins, their wide receiver core doesn't have a proven wide receiver two, three, or four outside of Christian Kirk. Their offensive line is average, and their tight end group has one player under contract. There's no way you fix that in one offseason with no cap space. So you're hoping to go into the draft and hit a home run, I guess. Except you have a GM who literally is being dragged to hell because he hasn't been able to do that. Then there's you can't, you've got a GM you can't count on to hit a single, and it needs a home run. <laughs> then I mean, you literally have a GM out there that's that's taking pitches 0-2. Like you can't 
you can't expect that this team is going to turn it around on offense. You know, no, it's just it's mind boggling. They're going to have to move one of those running backs and in terms to try of division, to get some type of an impact player. In terms of the division, the Rams are going for it with Stafford and an elite defense that it's going to return a lot of its key components. The Seahawks. I'll tell you are, what, the Rams after that Stafford move, the Rams are the best team in that division right now. Oh, absolutely. The Seahawks are always a tough. The Rams out. might be the best team in the NFC with Stafford at the helm. The Seahawks are a tough out every year. The 49ers were the most devastated team. So man games loss is a thing, a number that I just have an affinity for. They had the highest man games lost in the NFL, not just of any team last season, but of any team in the last three seasons. (laughs) And they still won six games. That should tell you that if you're only two wins worse you're the most devastated team in terms of injuries anyone's seen in years, and you still almost caught up to the win total of the Cardinals. Who's the better team? <laughs> you yeah, can, and, and don't count don't count San Francisco out as a destination for Deshaun Watson either, because they have the, the ammo to do it. People are still infatuated with Jimmy Garoppolo for some reason. That's the type of team that could make you know uh, go all in. You know, multiple first Jimmy Garoppolo and, and extras for Deshaun Watson. And all of a sudden, you know, the Cardinals are a distant fourth in that division. So this is the thing. While the move makes monetary sense for Watt, I'm not going to begrudge the guy for his. I mean, he can say whatever stupid things he wants to say. He can portray it however he wants. He's not my problem anymore. This makes no sense. It reeks of desperation if you're the Cardinals. It doesn't help you long-term. It hurts you financially in a pair of seasons where your roster desperately needs resources. And it might he, the signing might not be enough to get you that postseason berth. And maybe that's the idea here, right? Maybe Kingsbury and Kime kind of know that they keep winning the offseason and losing the regular one. Where have I heard that before? <laughs> <laughs> Who's that sound like? Yeah. So if that's the case, maybe they don't care what they have to spend or forego to show success because if it doesn't work out this season and the path to real contention isn't clear by 2022, they might, they're, they're probably thinking to themselves, I don't have to worry about I'm not going to be here to clean up the mess. Not, so my, yeah, not, my, problem. not my monkeys, not my circus. Boom. They're, they're, <laughs> They're going to go off to Cabo or wherever his guys with hair like that go to sulk with a boot print in their ass and everything that they own in a box. And that's. Yeah, you could. Chris hit the nail on the head, though. I'm just waiting for Kingsbury to come out and say that they're building a bully and they're ready to go out and win now. (laughs) Ah, Jesus. So walking away from this, now that we've kind of danced on top of the grave of this, this signing, doesn't it give you as a fan? a certain appreciation for Brandon Bean and his vision of, for this franchise. I mean, it really, for me, yeah. that was the thing I walked away with. When I saw that contract, I snort laughed, and then I had to go blow my nose because there was coffee in my sinuses. And I went, and as I'm, as I'm walking around, and the people in my office are looking at me like I'm some kind of maniac because I'm just, I'm laughing while there's shit dripping out of my face. I'm thinking to myself, Brandon Bean could have swung for the fences on J.J. Watt. Chasing a name, chasing perceived value, and instead he stayed true to his word. He opted to avoid what felt to him and to most of us here like a bloated contract that he wouldn't be able to live up to. Like the Mark Andersons of the world, or like every other horrible signing that blew up in our team's face. He avoided it. 
And unlike his counterparts over there in Arizona, in fact, I'll, I'll include our head coach in this. Unlike their counterparts in Arizona, it's comforting to know that Bean has proven that he's not gun shy when it comes to aggressively pursuing options to improve our team. But our GM and head coach don't feel like they have to jump the shark. Because just just because we I mean, we have a contention window here with Allen still on his rookie deal. We have a window to go win us, try to win a Super Bowl before we really where we can feel the most competitive roster. And yet our head coach and GM don't feel like they have to go out there and resort to begging perceived stars to join our roster to give them some sort of clout or give them some sort of I don't even know what you want to call it. Some what's the term I'm looking for, Ryan? Like it's going to give them credibility. I mean, I think, Cache, yeah. I think a large part of that is the security that those long-term extensions we gave them this offseason brings to them. I mean, would you agree with me that those are important to to dodging bullets like this? Yeah, I, I, I think I get the impression that negotiating with Brandon B must be extremely uncomfortable <laughs> because whenever you're in a negotiation, you're always trying to establish some kind of leverage to you know make yourself worth more than you know, kind of what your perceived value is. And then, you know, so, but Brandon Bean, you know, he's got a a number in his head and he's not going to overpay, you know, and it used to be when we were, when we were Bills fans, you know, we'd look at a free agent that hit the market. And my first thought would be, please just don't overpay if you're going to bring him in, you know, and now Brandon Bean, you look at what he does. I mean, and, and the production that Stefan Diggs gave you, you could make an argument that he stole Stefan Diggs right out from under the Vikings nose after what he gave you, you look at the free agents that he has brought in that have made impacts, even if he does slightly overpay guys, it's not, you know, it's not at the detriment of the team long-term, you know, you look at these guys, you know, Addison and, you know, all these guys that they signed in the off season last year, you can argue that he overpaid for them, but they were one year and you're out of it deals. You don't have to worry about it anymore. So I just think that being, you know, from a, as a guy who does contracts and negotiations and stuff as part of my normal job, if you can't establish, if a guy walks in and he goes, I got a number in my head and that's what the number is, you know, and, and it's either yes or no, that's the worst kind of guy that you want to negotiate against because the one, you know, you always try to establish something like a silence is supposed to, to gain you leverage. And I, I picture him just sitting and staring at you for a half hour waiting for you to say something and, and it's either yes or no. And, and he's not going to lose sleep one way or the other. So I mean, it's, it's great to have a GM like that because I think that's what you have to be in this business. See, I'll say this. He hasn't, he, it's just because he hasn't negotiated with me. Chris, I, I told you my, my idea, it's kind of, I'm going to say it here. I'm in the process of getting this trademarked or at least a patent pending just so nobody can steal it from me, even though it is admittedly probably a stupid idea. My idea about the sleeveless dress shirts. Yeah, you need to get that patented. See, my my negotiation technique is I'm just going to make you as uncomfortable as possible. It's kind of like me trying to use a dating app or talk to women. <laughs> it's just wildly uncomfortable. I'm going to make you as uncomfortable as possible until you don't have a choice. to. But you, you have to say something. Yeah, we can sit here in silence. I'll find ways to make you uncomfortable until you have no choice but to break but, that silence. But, Drew, what happens when you try to make that guy uncomfortable and he still just stares at you? Well, then in that case, now he wins. You're then he wins. Then, then, then guess what? When I'm standing there in front of you in a dress shirt with the sleeves cut off and I've pulled a pocket beer out of the the the, the beer can size pocket that's quietly sewed into the back, like the small of the back of my jacket. You know how cops like they'll buy the jackets. They're specifically a little bit bigger in the back so they can put their their service revolver in the small of their back and it's kind of hidden. 
I want to I want to create a jacket that has those sewn like beer holders sewn in back there so you can walk around and not look like a degenerate but have access to a cold one whenever you want it. And at the same time you'd also be <laughs> rocking a dress shirt that's very well tailored but also sleeveless because when you're in a board meeting or you're in some kind of a negotiation and people think, "Hey, I'm going to have a stare down with this guy or I'm not paying attention." Bam, you pop off the jacket now all eyes are on you. For good or for better or for worse. <laughs> But with that in mind, I feel like Brandon Bean probably is tough enough that I would just end up in my underwear just going, what? Tell me what you want. Uh, With that in mind, it's nice knowing that we're perceived as being so competitive in 2021 that a player of Watts caliber would have had a, the, the word on the street is we were number two. We were second fiddle. That makes you feel good, too. Just knowing, like, hey, the direction of this team looks in the eyes of not just players, but agents. Not just fans. Not just, hey, other GMs around the league. Agents look at this team and go, you know what? Buffalo's a strong candidate if you really wanted to go contend. When's the last time we had that? Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, because even, like, the Mario Williams signing, it was, well, Buffalo pay the most money. You know, and they, and they literally yes. won't let you get on the plane to leave. So you're either signing here or you're going to just live in Buffalo for some reason. I think we kidnapped um, him. I'm pretty no, sure I mean, that's, it, was, I, you know, I think it probably if, was if in today's the, the society. Kelly Levy bills, you know, which even free agency back then even wasn't the same. So it's been a long, long time. And I'll counterpoint that with when's the last time that it was both Buffalo and Cleveland? Because yeah. Cleveland was right in that race, too, as a legitimate contender. Yeah. How hilarious is it that Buffalo and Cleveland were two franchises synonymous with just sucking ass? And now we're being looked at as teams that they're like, those guys, they got it going on. Other teams are looking. You want to talk about winners? You want to talk about winners? Buffalo and Cleveland. It's like it almost (laughs) had to happen in tandem because we've sucked together for so long that it makes sense we would be good together, right? Yeah, it was just one last hurrah for 2020. I mean, I called it that 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 would be the final sign of the apocalypse was Buffalo playing Cleveland for the AFC title. Like, that would have been the actual last sign of the apocalypse. It would have ended right there at halftime. It would have been a disaster. The world would have ended. So thanks. It would have been it would have been like a six three seven overtime game is how that game would have wound up. Oh, it would have ended like the game. What was it? Yeah, six three. And then the guy muffs a punt return to give up a 23-yard field goal to lose the game. That's how that would have ended for one of our teams. It wouldn't even matter who. Everyone would hate football forever. (laughs) So moving forward. Now, last week we talked about pre-free agency dominoes, and the J.J. Watts saga was, both for Buffalo and a number of NFL teams, a giant stumbling block that had to be resolved before free agency could really get underway. I mean, teams had, I mean, if, if you haven't, go back and listen to it because it's a great conversation where we talk about all kinds of topics. The franchise tag and what, what it can do to the market, what the trade of Deshaun Watson, you know, what teams are waiting around with bated breath for that to get resolved, and the opportunity cost of signing a guy like Watt versus targeting some younger players. Now that that has resolved itself, there's multiple teams that are, okay, pivot. Now we can really dig in in earnest to getting ready for free agency, seeing what the market has, seeing who else is out there. I mean, everyone knows it. Carl Lawson himself tweeted out today, just nothing but a, hey, guys, with a waving hand. <laughs> to be like, hey, guys, I know I'm DE number one in the market now. Hey, nice to meet you. Yeah, and, and 31-year-old J.J. Watt just signed for $15.5 So yeah. I'll say hi to everybody if I'm well, Carl And Lawson. that was good. So looking forward. His deal kind of inadvertently inflates the pass rusher market, doesn't it? 
Oh yeah, yeah. This this sets the market. Thirty-one year old JJ Watt coming off a you know an, an okay season, three years removed from a, from his his last great season, has now set the market at fifteen and a half million dollars for a pass rusher. So, Carl Lawson, you know Hassan Reddick, Kyle Van Noy. You know I know Van Noy is a linebacker, but you know it, the, that's the market for these types of guys now. I mean. And, they're all, I'm sure, going to send some love J.J. Watt's way when they start signing their deals. This deal is one that, for the money, it's six to what, fifteen and a half million in, in average annual value. Made me laugh the way I did when I saw the Jets sign C.J. Mosley to a deal worth seventeen million. I mean, that's yeah. not only does it seem like an absorbent sum of money, but it also has a potential trickle down effect to the market. Because if J.J. Watt's worth sixteen. All of the, like, think about Carl Lawson. If you were to go to Spotrack a few days ago, they would tell you Lawson was worth about $9 million, 9 to 10. Now, it's possible he's somewhere in the 11 to 13 range. That's a problem. Yeah. Because what that does is that it's not a problem for him. It's a problem for teams that were saying, okay, we could target this guy and also make moves. He's A, and then we could make moves B, C, and D. Now you look at that number inflating, you go, okay, well then maybe D is not going to be possible. So can we get by without getting A, B, C, and D? Can we just get A, B, C and still field the kind of team we want to field next season? It's going to be interesting to see how teams navigate that. It's also nice because it gets, it gives you now multiple weeks to gauge the pass rusher market and kind of prepare your roster machinations. I mean, this facet of his particular interest to teams like Buffalo, which, as we're going to discuss with Ryan Talbot in our second show this week, we've got work to do on the defensive line. Having that Watt saga resolved so that they can reassess available targets, having time to establish how his contract might not just impact the market, but impact the moves the Bills have to make in-house to create the type of space to be the team they want to be. I know Mario Addison is a guy, Ryan, who gets talked about as kind of a, well, we could keep him unless the plan, like if you wanted to just keep what we have now, you can't, if you wanted to cut a Quentin Jefferson, Quentin Jefferson and you wanted to cut Vernon Butler to get cap space, but you don't want to spend what the market's going to cost to go out and get another edge rusher and you'd rather try to find one in the draft, you're stuck with Mario Addison. So is that good for your football team? <laughs> I would argue it's probably not. So is he, I mean, your plans are going to depend on whether or not you think the guy's on your roster. Now you can look in-house and say, okay, I see the market and I, I'm getting a feel for what these guys are going to cost. I can make a determination as to whether or not I want to go whole hog on a free agent and let a guy like Addison go. Maybe even a guy like Jerry Hughes go, depending on who the target is. You know that you, you can at least figure out what it is you have to do to get to the numbers that these guys are going to cost. There's a value to that. Yeah. Yeah, there is. And, and you know, it's all it's all weighted. You know, we're going to sign a, you know, so, you know, let's say we're going to sign Carl Lawson. So we need to make ourselves, you know, nine million dollars, ten million dollars a year in cap space. You know that. But that but that means that that's probably the only guy that we're going to wind up getting for a pass rusher. So maybe you do keep Addison. Maybe that makes, you know, the other guys casualties. But you got to keep Addison because, you know, you don't want to cut all your pass rushers if you're only going to sign one. Because this this draft class is a you know pretty thin class when it comes to true pass rushers, so you know it's all going to be dependent on you know how many guys are we targeting, how many can I sign now that I didn't sign Watt, what money did I allocate to Watt, 
you know, and now what, what does that mean for what other players I can go after? Um, you know, this may wind up where if they miss out on Watt and maybe their, their plan B is lost and maybe he signs pretty shortly thereafter, maybe they just go back to Milano and say, let's just run it back with the team that we had and hopefully we'll add a, a, an impact player in the draft. And, you know, we, we were a game away from the Super Bowl last year. Let's just run it back with the team that we've got and hope that we can grow in our roles. That may be plan C for them, but we'll, we'll have to see. I can't wait to see how it pans out, but I got to tell you, Chris, show of hands, who here thinks that the Buffalo Bills missing out, quote unquote, on J.J. Watt isn't the worst thing in the world? Right here. Right here. Brian? Yep. <laughs> no. I was I was lukewarm on the idea of Watt when he got released. That's, and now that he signed for $15.5 million, I'm good. That's exactly it. Bills fans, hopefully you feel the same. Guys, make sure you come back to, well, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, tomorrow or later tonight. Because Ryan Talbot from New York Upstate is going to be joining us for our roster evaluation and free agency forecast focusing on the defensive side of the football. We're going to look at the state of Buffalo's current position groups and how the market outlook might take the team, the path the team takes to addressing our needs. We're going to discuss trends we like, trends we don't like, players we appreciate in a Bills uniform and a lot more. Make sure you come back for it. Ryan, as always, great to have you. And I look forward to getting more collaboration between us in the next in the coming month leading up to the draft. I, I really hope we can pull off a draft show of some type because even if it has to be virtual, last year's was a lot of fun right up until I wrecked everything. Yeah, with that AJ pick. He just ruined everything. Yeah, we'll just we'll just have more foresight and I'll I'll put you on mute right before the pick gets made before and then I'll 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 make you text me your reaction before I decide whether to unmute you or not. But no, it's it's always fun. You know, hanging out with you guys and definitely we're going to do something for the draft. We're just hoping that that starts to take shape in terms of what it looks like um, pretty soon here. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to find out, guys. Follow where can people find you on Twitter? Yeah, I'm uh, at Ryan Lacell underscore RSN. Uh, fairly easy to remember. So, you know, definitely appreciate anyone who wants to follow and uh, hit me up in my in my mentions. I can't promise I'll be polite, but uh, I promise <laughs> that I will. uh buy you a beer if I ever see you in person, regardless of how the direction goes. And that's why we love you, man. Thanks for joining us. Guys, we got to get the hell out of here. We have we have free agency stuff to record. we got to get out of here so that we can bring you a, a show that has more informational and it's not just venting about J.J. Watt and his stupid, stupid pursuit of money. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That's Ryan Lasel. And this has been the Rock Pile Report.